Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10. Nine, eight, seven. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm at the beach, Jeremy. At the beach. Look at you. You do look a little tanner and got your black dress oh, on. And, you know. I haven't even been outside except to go walk in the morning. You got that, you that beach glow. You know, maybe that's that what it is. That must be it. That's yeah. what it is. It's just there's more sunlight down here. You know, I'm down here with Kimberly and my advisor from Yale because we're working on our next plans since I defended last Friday. All Yay, right. I'm done. <laughs> All right. So we have we made it over the crest and we're coming down now? I guess. I mean, well, you know I've been unlivable for the uh, last yes. month. I yes, mean, I've realized you, would, that. you would text me and <laughs> I wouldn't respond immediately and you thought I was dead and <laughs> Yeah, I was like, Sharon doesn't respond, something is wrong. So Yeah, well, there was something wrong. I was stressing out on getting the last little bit of my manuscript ready and getting it uploaded to ProQuest, and it was pretty stressful. But yeah. So I'm you're going back now. to school again after this? Or? Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Not on your life. Uh, of course, how many times did you I was going to say. No, the last time that I said I'd never go back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know. well, I'm excited about our guests today, and you guys have been personal friends for many years now, so I'll let you introduce our guest today. Oh, well, actually, I met Nick through his first wife, um, yep. Julie. Julie's their wife, Goderman now, and so kind of an interesting story. I knew Julie peripherally. No, no, let's back up. I met you guys initially in the underground tour in yes. Seattle. In uh, Seattle, Washington. That's it. And Pierce and I were going to go to Napa 
Valley at the next year's meeting, I believe it was. And I had put out on Facebook, is anybody going to go to Napa Valley after the San Diego meeting? And Julie emailed me and said, yeah, I think my husband and I want to go. And we what spent five days in Napa Valley together. All right. I only remember three of them. But yeah. <laughs> Hey, you're doing good if you remember three, Nick. I mean, you know, last time I was there, I don't know if I remember the first day. So. Oh, you were there too, Jeremy. I was there, yeah. Yes, because yeah. we met you at one point. Yep. Yep. That's oh, right. that's right. That's right. And Janice Islar. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Yeah, we had a great time. But since then, Nick's had a fairly checkered past. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) great way to introduce our guest there, Sharon. That's it. Well, every, listen, nobody's turning this podcast off after they hear that. But interestingly, Nick has a health history, which I would love for him to go into. And then you can talk a little bit about some of the other little pieces of your life and how Julie wound up in CRNA school and all that kind of yeah. stuff, but at, which is very interesting. And then talk about whenever you ran for the House of Representatives in Minnesota. So why don't you tell us about your health history first, Nick, because it's a very compelling story. Yeah, so for me, I think my, my whole story really goes back now 40 years, was when I was first born, my parents had two boys and they tried again because they really, really, really wanted a girl. <laughs> and uh, I was born. Uh, instead of a girl. <laughs> instead of a girl. I was born 10 days before Christmas. And the doctor said, 10 fingers, 10 toes, happy, healthy baby boy. Did your and mom so, dress you up in a dress, Nick? Let's get well, to the good parts said, here. They were planning on Holly for a name, but they went for Nicholas because they were uh, still sticking with the Christmas theme. Thing. And uh, I don't know so that story. And so I was the boy. I was the third boy. And it wasn't until three days later, they were getting ready to discharge me from the hospital. And uh, I started to cry. And I started to cry all the color drained from my face. And I just kind of went ash gray and then eventually blue. And my mom started to panic. And she kind of describes this kind of whirlwind of scrubs and white coats as nurses and doctors kind of came in, rushed into the room, pushed her to the edges of the room and eventually out of the room. And she followed this whirlwind of nurses and doctors as her three-day-old was loaded into an ambulance and she was told, call your husband, get him here. You need to follow this ambulance to Minneapolis Children's Hospital. We don't know what's wrong, but we think it's your baby's heart. Mm. And so my parents followed the ambulance down to the hospital, to Minneapolis Children's Hospital. They rushed in and uh, by the time they got the car parked and rushed in, um, I had been taken through the emergency room and I was in the their prenatal or neonatal ICU. And so Dr. Uh, Dr. Frederick Stone, who was my pediatric cardiologist all growing up, was waiting to meet them. And he brought them into a small room 
my mom said it was uh, it was three oversized chairs, one coffee table, two end tables, and four boxes of Kleenex. Oh my! And Doctor Stone said, "What I have to tell you is difficult for for any parent to hear, but your son Nicholas was born with a severe heart defect. He was born with tricuspid." Atresia, that's a three-chambered heart instead of four. Nick was born without a right ventricle. And in today's medical science and the best of our knowledge, there's really nothing today that will keep your son alive past the age of seven. Mm. And so that's the, that's the news that my parents got on day three of, of my life. And so they went in and uh, saw me all hooked up to all the monitors and I was intubated and uh, they charged some central lines. And so it was, it was really very overwhelming for them. I had my first open heart surgery at two months old. I had my second open heart surgery at two years old. And those were both Blaylock Tausig shunts mm-hmm. at the time in 1981 and then in 1982. Uh, was the second one. And then I had kind of this period where I kind of looked sick, but I still kind of grew up like the other kids. And to the point where when I was five or six years old, it was time to start school. And I mean, granted, I looked like a 70 pound Smurf because I was still blue, but <laughs> but I was ready to start school and, and do everything. And so I went to pre-K and kindergarten, and then first grade. And then it got to a point at about six years old where I didn't have the energy to walk up a flight of stairs. If I went from the living room in our house into the kitchen for a glass of Kool-Aid, by the time I poured a glass of Kool-Aid, I had to sit on the kitchen floor because I was too tired to stand and drink my Kool-Aid or orange juice or whatever. And so we went back in to the doctor's office and, and Dr. Stone told my parents, you know, that, you know, we told you six years ago that there was nothing that could be done for your son, Nick, to help him live past age seven. And the heart failures progressed and, and it, it really is now exceeding the amount that, that a single ventricle heart can do. And Dr. Stone said, there is one potential option. There's a brand new surgery we've started doing in Minnesota. Uh, We've done it once at Minneapolis Children's last year to a six-year-old girl from Duluth, but she did not survive the surgery. And so Dr. Stone and my surgeon, Dr. Nikoloff, explained the basics of the Fontan procedure to turn the right ventricle into a ventricle that would pump do the pumping for both sides of the heart and explain that in 1986, the success rate they predicted would be about 20%. And so my parents said, well, it's, it's our only choice. Um, it's, it's the only thing we can do to give our, uh, our son a shot. And so yeah, on May 17th, 1987, I was the first person at Minneapolis Children's to have the Fontan procedure and survive. Several days after that surgery, they extubated me and Dr. Stone asked, how do you feel, Nick? 
And I said, I feel great. And they said, they kind of gave me a look and they said, how do you feel, Nick? And I said, I really feel good. And my dad leaned over and whispered in the loudest whisper known to man, what the hell is wrong with his voice? Uh... (laughs) And they had, uh, during the surgery, there had been paralysis of my right vocal cord, which causes the the softer or hairiness in my voice. And so that was the only impact from the surgery. At seven years old, I looked at my fingernails and I looked at myself in the mirror and I looked at my lips. And for the first time in my entire life, my fingernail uh, nails were red and my my lips were, were pink and blue or pink and red. And, and uh, I looked healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked like a healthy boy for the first time in my life. Now, throughout the rest of my life, I've, I've been told six different times that I've had less than six months left to live. The last time I told Dr. Nikoloff, no, you'll think it's something. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. They did. I've had a, the font, that Fontan uh, redone five times after the original. The entire right side of my heart now is Gore-Tex. There is no longer right atrium left that does the pumping, the right atrium that following the first Fontan that pumped, then for the right side over the course of the next 10 years that enlarged and wasn't able to contract and, and pump. And so eventually uh, in about 1996, they pulled that out and replaced it with the pericardium from a, a cow's heart. Mm-hmm. And that lasted for about a year. And then they did the whole thing in Gore-Tex. And so I always tell people half my heart is waterproof <laughs> in case we're ever in a survival situation and that becomes necessary. <laughs> I feel like it's a Swiss army knife in my chest. I, I don't know what else you could do, but, but it's interesting. I spent during that time when I was 15 and 16 years old, I spent two years on a heart transplant waiting list. At that point, uh, the idea of, of cutting out the right atrium and replacing it with, with a bovine pericardium, just that, that didn't seem like a very reasonable option yet. And so I waited for two years on a heart transplant waiting list. Uh, nearly a year of that, I was inpatient at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in their Station 10, their cardiac intensive care unit. During that time, my primary nurse was Angela Mund, or, or then was Angela Carta. Oh. Carta, her and Steve hadn't been married yet. And so I got to know Angie for over the course of about a year. And just as I was leaving uh, the hospital, and at that point, they said, we're not going to find you a heart transplant. There's nothing left that we can do. I was being discharged to go home to spend the last few months of my life with my parents. And she was leaving Abbott Northwestern to go into the VA uh, anesthesia program in Minneapolis. And so we left, and a few months later, I had the experimental surgery that worked uh, pretty remarkably, quite frankly. And, and a few weeks later, I started high school and um, had two more surgeries uh, while I was still in high school, but ended up graduating from high school, went to college, went to Hamlin University for a degree in biology and forensic science, graduated from Hamlin, and then went to work for a sheriff's office. 
Oh my goodness. Wow. Now, now I know there's a story around when Julie interviewed for anesthesia school and she, y'all were married and Zerwas <laughs> is not a very common name. No. So years later, Julie at that time was a, an ICU nurse at the VA a hospital. She was, was interesting. Angie always told me, though I was, I mean, I saw her every night for almost a year. And so the whole time she was applying to anesthesia school and going through the process. And then when she was leaving Abbott to go into anesthesia, I said, you know, why are you leaving me? Right. <laughs> and, she, and she said that some of the very smartest, best nurses go on to be CRNAs. You know, when I was, I was 15 years old, and I said, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and years later, I met Julie and Julie wanted to go to nursing school her mother was a nurse and, and we were dating and eventually married. And I said, you know, the most impressive nurse I've ever met in my entire life, Angie, at that time, Carta, told me that the very best nurses go to anesthesia school. And so she said, oh, okay, I have to you know, learn more about what that is and research that. And so after several years of Julie being in the ICU and trying to figure out what's next for because she always wanted to go on for a master's degree, applied for the program to be a nurse anesthetist. And during the interview process, I think the very first question, if I remember right, the interview panel asked Julie, why do you want to be a nurse anesthetist? And Julie talked about kind of growing up with me and my surgeries and, and the impact that a nurse had on me that became a CRNA. And so that kind of always motivated Julie and drove her. And all of a sudden, a woman on the interview panel said, oh, my God, you're married to Nick Zerwas. And Julie kind of was surprised and stunned and said, yes. <laughs> and then Angie, bless her heart, said, I thought he was dead. <laughs> oh, wow. my God. And it was her. Wow, what a circle. I love this wow. story. Wow. And so Angie says that she then kind of excused herself from the process and the group kind of voted on Julie, independent of of all that. Julie got into the program. I think she ended up being, if not the top student in her class, in the top two or three. She's literally one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Except for me. Uh, well, for me. she said yeah. one. He did I, say I, one. He said one. I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We were moving out of one of our apartments and I was packing up boxes and I said, what's this stupid textbook? It's still in the plastic wrap. Oh my God. Uh, she never even opened it. And it was her organic chemistry book that she never took out of the sealed packaging and it was two days later that she got a email from her professor at St. Kate's that told her in the first time in the history of the college they'd had a student get a perfect score on their national standardized American Chemical Society final exam and it was Julie wow and she never opened the freaking book Wow. She's got an inc incredible memory. She wow. really yes. does. Hey, yeah. Yes. Uh, 
Hey, Nick, you know, here, here you've been told six times in your life that you had less than six months to live. I mean, most people hear that one time in their life, right? Mm-hmm. How has that, just that one thing, shaped you as a human being? You said something earlier. You were, you were talking to the doc, and you're like, you'll figure something out. I mean, kind of yeah. talk to us about that a little bit. Well, I think for me, it's interesting. I could never appreciate if I didn't experience firsthand how debilitating and actually crippling the lack of hope is. I lived for nearly a year of my life with little and then basically no hope. And for me, that happened when I was 15 and then almost 16 years old. I had picked out the songs at my funeral. I had picked out the people that were to carry my casket through the church, the speakers. I had asked friends and family members, my godfather and others, if they would speak at my funeral, if they'd say some, some nice things about me. And, and by the time I got out of the hospital to go be at home, those final few months, I knew I was dying and I felt like I was dying. And so it almost got to a point, as weird as this sound, where I was almost impatient because mm. uh, waiting is hard. I don't care what you're waiting for. Yeah. It's hard. And so when Dr. Nikoloff and Dr. Stone came to me and said, you were to cut out the right side of your heart or replace it with a sack that goes around a cow's heart. My first reaction was, <laughs> that's never going to work. Oh my God. And Dr. Nikolov said, well, it might. It might work. And I said, okay. I got nothing else going on. Yeah. They gave you a sliver Let's of give it a shot. There. Yeah. Yep. And it almost in a, and almost in a way, it gave me a finality point yeah. where there was going to be a date on the calendar. And we're either going to figure this shit out or it worked. Yeah. Look on the bright. Now you could be in a Chick fil A commercial. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Safe counts for me. And so that morning, he wheels me in. You know, I get wheeled into the OR and I demand to see Dr. Mikolov before mm-hmm. I let them put me to sleep. And he comes out and he's drying his hands off. He's like, what, Nick? I'm kind of busy. I got a lot of stuff on my mind. <laughs> and I said, Dr. Nikolov, if we do this, do you really think that you can do this? Do you really think you can save me today? And he goes, Nick, I don't know. He goes, I'm not sure. He goes, but I know if I do this surgery today, I can almost guarantee you I'll save the next 15-year-old boy. Oh, my God. That's wow. heavy for a 15-year-old kid. Wow. But you and were an old 15-year-old. You were yeah, an I old grew, soul. Well, I grew up in the hospital. Yeah. You know, for, yeah. For better or for worse. I mean, I, I just, my life was just spent around adults and in that setting just for so much time. And so from going to a place of, of no hope, and really just no plans for a future. And really, no, I graduated top 20 in my high school class 
with a 4.01 GPA and I didn't tour a college because I just never thought I would be alive to go to college. Mm -hmm. So I just never ever allowed myself to even think about those next steps. And so when everything in my life changed and suddenly I had an entire life to dream about, to plan about, to think about something that had just been unattainable and almost depressing to consider before. It wholly changed my life and how I approach every scenario, every conversation, every relationship, and every interaction. Well, I, for one, having known you for, what, 11 years now, you live every single day to its fullest. And, you know, the one thing I love about talking to you all the time is I don't care when I call you or whatever, you act like it's the best day ever. I love talking to you like that. You're like, oh my God, Sharon, it's so good to hear from you. And I'm like, he's so full of it, but I love it. I love every minute. Oh no, oh no, I, Sharon calls, it's drop everything. I gotta take this. I know you do always pick up whenever I call, but it, but no, you do. And that's something I, I absolutely love about you, even though the list is long, but you do absolutely live every single day as hard as you can go at it. Life is, life is so unbelievably precious and it's so miraculous in everyday things. And for me, kind of living this second and third and, and, and fourth and fifth lifespan is this kind of how I tend to break break it up. I just kind of look ahead and say, nothing has held me back, nothing will hold me back, and what can possibly be next? And so at 25, when I said I'm running for city council, and everyone said, no one's going to vote for a 25-year-old who can't run for city council, I ran. And and we, we didn't win. We kicked butt, you know, and six years later was redistricting and there was a open legislative seat for the Minnesota House. And I said, I want to I want to have a direct impact on public policy for health care. I'm going to run for the Minnesota House. And my mother said, are you sure people would vote for a 31 year old to serve in the legislature? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to go door to door and find out. And a kid that never, ever once ran the mile in school, never participated in gym class, didn't learn to ride a bike until I was almost 20 years old. I walked one block a day over the course of three hours, knocking on front doors over the course of six months to run for office. Mm -hmm. I couldn't hammer it all out fast, but I did it. Door by door by door. And I got to meet people and I got to know people and I got to let them know me and why I wanted to represent them. Wow. Wow. That's a great I story, Nick. I, I, mean, know. You know, I knew you like, would love this, Jeremy. Um, yeah, I mean, I've known you, but I, I've not known you like that. So. 
Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Well, let's kind of talk about, you know, health policy because obviously that's a passion of yours. And how did you utilize your experience to kind of put more back to a patient focus in health policy? Yeah. Because I think that's that's probably one of the things that that you have definitely focused on. Well, I think if you look at kind of who shows up at the Capitol and who's there and who's in the room when the decisions are being made, nurses have great representation, certainly in Minnesota. Physicians have a ton of represents, representation in uh, certainly in Minnesota, hospitals, hospital associations, health plans. Good Lord, does health plan, <laughs> do health plans have representation? Pharmaceutical companies, the pharmacy industry. You have American Heart Association, American Cancer, kind of those broad patient advocacy groups. But what you don't often have is the patient that can come in or the mom that can take a time off work and, and bring a sick child in and meet with their legislator to say, this is what going through the healthcare system with a child with a chronic condition, this is what our life is like. This is the stack of bills we get. This is trying to figure out over six months what the hell is in network and out of network, what's deductible, what goes towards my cap, what doesn't go out of my maximum out of pocket, all of that. That is the biggest, most gigantic gap in policymaking in state legislatures, and I would say the federal space as well. Those voices of the actual patient experience and not just the quality of care you get the hospital, although very, very important. But from cradle to grave, what does it look like to go in for a procedure? You have to call and get it pre-approved. Your doctor says you need this knee replacement. They do their surgeries at this outpatient clinic. Is that in your network? Is that out of your network? How the heck can I tell? Oh, the surgery center is in network. And the surgeons in network, but the contract anesthesia provider is out of network. So there's a $700 bill you weren't planning on. It's all of that stuff that gets lost on a broad, you know, let's increase reimbursement rates by half a percent here and tick up copays by $5 over here. All of the true patient experience gets the oxygen gets sucked out of the room talking about the huge things and that space is left void. Wow. You know and what? So that is so true. That is so that is true. true. And I've been yeah. around the block a couple times. And so my goal 
always was when I was in office. Uh, I spent four four terms, almost eight years in office. And, and my goal for all of those conversations was at some point during the conversation to try to break it down to if there's an individual patient or family going through this process, how are they impacted? Mm-hmm. How is someone from Elk River, Minnesota that has to travel to Children's Hospital and has to travel to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, how are they impacted by these changes? Mm-hmm. And those are the types of conversations that I tried to prioritize in my time in the legislature. All right. So, you know, you obviously were married to a CRNA, know a lot of CRNAs. What would you tell our audience about their role in participating in policymaking in, well, there's a difference between policy and politics. If we didn't have politics, policy would be a whole lot easier. But what should a CRNA think about? Is it important for them to talk to their legislators? Tell from your perspective how important that is. So my my first term in the Minnesota House, we authored and uh, myself and, and Representative Dan Schoen. And at that time, Aaron Murphy, who's a, a nurse, was a majority leader in the Minnesota House. The four of us worked on the independent practice for CRNAs and for all APRNs in Minnesota. And uh, it was a goddamn bloodbath. And now for our audience, you are a Republican and Aaron is a Democrat. So this was a bipartisan effort. Oh. Which- Yep, I was elected as a Republican. Dan Schoen, the lead author, was a Democrat. Aaron Murphy was a Democrat. And the Democrats were in the majority. I was a minority freshman member. And I kept pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. It works out that I had an ally that was the number two person in the House of Representatives. Huge immediate pushback from the physician groups and from the anesthesiologists uh, specifically, and a ton of the disagreements and arguments got down to the scope of practice, as it always does, mm-hmm. and then into very, very specific focuses around interventional pain uh, management, which I tell you what, by that point, I had been around nurse anesthetists for dang near five or six years, so bring it on. I was ready. And so we went toe to toe and battled for, uh, for a year and a half and got uh, passed in Minnesota and signed into law. Um, one of the most comprehensive independent practice acts in the United States, a couple things that would not have passed and would not be law today, but for the unbelievable involvement of the Minnesota Association of Nurse Anesthetists and the Minnesota Coalition of Advanced Practice Nurses. And what was very interesting is your friends and your coalitions are always great. The challenge is the broader your coalition gets, the harder it is to hold everybody together. It becomes more powerful, but it becomes more difficult to continue to hold everybody together. And why I bring that up is because we had a, we were making these huge leaps and bounds progress in the legislature negotiating this bill. 
And then the, the anesthesiologist tried something along with the docs. And they said, we will agree on 95% of your bill. And we will give all advanced practice nurses independent and autonomous practice. And we will allow CRNAs autonomous practice, but for and except anything with doing local anesthesia and interventional pain management. <laughs> and we had to keep this broad coalition with nurse midwives and all these other folks. We had to keep them. We couldn't let them flake off right. and take the deal. We had to keep them tight. So instead of getting half of what CRNAs wanted, we got everything we wanted. And that is no small feat. Absolutely. Uh, oh, listen, we are in the middle of just such a battle in North Carolina right now. And, you know, the first. They will. They will. They will try to feature. Sure. That, that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly if, what they're doing. Trying to pit us against each other. Yep. So we fight each other. The Trojan horse. I mean, that's bam. the way it works, right? If they can't defeat you dead on. They will try to split you and pitch you against each other. Yeah. It, that is the playbook. It plays out state after state after state. And it's what we faced in Minnesota. But there was unbelievable leadership, top down within the APRN coalition and from MANA, the Minnesota Association of Nurse Anesthetists, that held the group together. And quite frankly, the nurse anesthetists they ponied up a bulk of the money for the lobbyists. So quite frankly, they had more say. Hmm. They have a and bigger they, vote. Yeah. All right. And so they flexed that they flexed that position. They did. Wow. They said, we, we brought you to the dance. Yeah. You're here because we paid to get us here. I mean, that's tough now to you do. Shut though. up and go with us. I love it. I love yeah. this. Yeah, this, it was is, a great, this is awesome. I think this if this plays out in every state, you're exactly right, Nick. It was an on I did this for eight years. It was one of the most aggressive legislative battles I've ever been a part of. Now, let me ask you another question. Did they come at it as they always do, that it's about patient safety? And I say this because I tell every single legislator I talk to, when they start screaming patient safety, start looking for the dollar signs. Yep. Uh, anything... Their big thing was, if we allow nurse anesthetists to do interventional pain management independently, never mind they're doing it currently, there will be paralysis everywhere and <laughs> bodies in the streets. <laughs> yeah. and, and so we, we went through our list of states where it was currently allowed, and I said, fine, find me any peer-reviewed study, find me any reported incidents of increase of adverse effects or injuries in these states where it's already allowed. Crickets. 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 <laughs> Crickets. It's all about fear. Yeah. It's, well, it's all, all about money, tactics, Nick. You know that. <laughs> and none of it, yeah. none of it backed up with fact-based stats yeah. or evidence. Yeah. You know, they come into committee with these big, scary-looking needles, and they want to—they want to put this in your spine, even though we're doc. And it's 
the same dog and pony show in every state. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hey, Nick, I heard you You hit a couple things there as you were talking. One, you said, you know, Mana showed up with the most money, so they had the most control. And the other thing that I think is important to get across to our listeners is what is important to all elected officials? Well, and that becomes very key because they did a grassroots turnout effort. You know, you might have a thousandfold more people in your association then you have active or truly engaged right members that go to every conference go to every fundraiser and happy hour and this or that this is not a time for anybody to sit on the damn sidelines Mm -hmm. you gotta show up you want this to happen in your state Mm -hmm. you better be emailing you better be setting up zooms you better be setting up coffees. You better drive into the Capitol, meet with people. We had to get all across the state, these key members, we had to reach out and find the, especially Minnesota gets very rural, very quick. So we had to find the CRNAs that were shockingly the only anesthesia provider in a lot of these members districts. And so he's like, Oh, it's super scary that you don't want a nurse anesthetist to be able to practice independently. Well, guess guess what, Fergus Falls Hospital? That's the case already. They cover all of your OB on call hmm. overnight already because you can't get a MDA to go up from Minneapolis for a week to cover the midnight shift in Fergus Falls. So a CRNA covers it already. They do the lines. They're there for the deliveries, for everything. So trying to let people even know what status quo is, because people have watched too much dang Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) where everybody's a freaking doctor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. True that. So we have to do a better job right off the bat, especially in an area where you have rural service areas, and telling these folks, no, 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 no. Your main anesthesia providers are already CRNAs. And in fact, I work at that hospital and I was there for delivering this many babies last year. Those are the stories that we have to tell, but you need your broad network of CRNAs to be able to tell that story and cover those key geographical areas. So let me ask you a question. You talked about the emails. As a legislator, tell me how important that is. I mean, we all know that face-to-face are the most effective, but tell me about emails because I know that people will wonder, does that really make a difference? Yes, but if you're going to send an email to an elected official, do it. I encourage it. It's definitely helpful. Obviously more impactful if you live in their district. And if you live in their district, that needs to be in the first sentence. 
hi, Senator so-and-so, hi, Representative so-and-so, my name is blah, blah, blah. I am a CRNA that, and people don't understand what CRNA is. I'm a nurse anesthetist that works at this clinic, this hospital, this surgery center. And then you need to be able to say, I live in this town or in this community in your district. Yeah, I think that's that's very important. And I think we lost Sharon here, but that that's okay, Nick. Me and you can talk about her. I mean, without her. I didn't say about her, did I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the things that, that people really need to hear is it matters. You've got to show up. You've got to be active. I mean, yeah. this essentially, in, in this environment today, I mean, there's a huge demand for anesthesia services. There's a huge demand for CRNAs. And sometimes I think that, you know, some CRNAs kind of take that for granted a little bit, that it's yeah. always going to be this way. And to your point, if their colleagues across the aisle, the, the MDAs, anesthesiologists get their way, there might not be as much demand for CRNAs and there might not be as much money for CRNAs out there. And you always boil it down to their pocketbook. You know, what is this, what is the effect on the individual CRNA's pocketbook? And, you know, how do you motivate CRNAs to get out and get involved and come talk to you? You know, and I guess with uh, the group of nurse anesthetists that I've gotten to know over the years that I've really connected with, obviously, you know, financial motivator motivates everybody. Right. The folks that I know that took the time to advance their careers and go through anesthesia school, go through such an unbelievably rigorous process to get in, to do that, to leave a great career in nursing right. and to go back to school, really take a hiatus on some earning, some income earning years and reset and then go out in a new career. I think almost more motivating in my experience in talking with CRNAs than a financial motivation is this idea that you're damn good at what you do and you're Mm -hmm. unbelievably well-trained and highly skilled. And damn it, if anybody is going to provide this anesthesia care in the community and in rural communities, why not you? Why not the unbelievably well-trained, well-equipped and well-versed CRNA that can provide exceptional care Oh, and by the way, at a better value for the consumer. Yeah. So I think that is is kind of the messaging. Then it's just access in Minnesota. Our most effective messaging around this was, was healthcare access. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and certainly for, for us in that OB space. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Sharon. I know, right? My computer time. That's all right. Nick and I did not talk about you at all while you were gone. I mean, no, really oh, didn't. yeah. So, I hear you. I, I hear you. Well, well let's see. I guess I can be Jeremy right now and say, is there anything you would like to conclude on? <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll do a real quick lightning round. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I think for me, and I think, you know, being able to be, in the legislature and now working outside of the legislature, trying to influence members of the House and Senate and the governor and the governor's staff. I think knowing your bill, 
knowing the information as well as you possibly can is one of the most important things. If you show up and it's obvious in the first few moments that you are an expert at what's being debated, that you know the public policy issue, you know the sticking point, and you know why CRNAs in your language in the bill is the best thing to move forward, that type of credibility cannot be duplicated. It cannot be faked. It cannot be replicated. That type of authenticity is invaluable. And so know your shit. (laughs) Write your letter. Make it a personal letter. I definitely discourage mass chain letters or mass dear so-and-so. You know, I, I would very strongly frown away from having an association do a cut and paste for CRNAs uh, to do to members. You know, I've gotten on different bills, six, seven, 800 emails in a day. And what I would always do is I would scroll down, you know, pollution or this or that. I'd scroll down and there's always a part in two brackets about the second or third paragraph. I would say in all capital letters, delete this paragraph yes. and replace it <laughs> where, with a personal impact of this issue to you. Yeah. And 95% of the people never took a second to yeah. read that on their own, to even see that, yeah. but they're supposed to put in their own personal story. So if you're going to send me something and you didn't bother to freaking read it, why the heck would I? Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't have to be impressive. It doesn't have to be multi-pages. I would say two, three paragraphs. Make it real. Make it authentic. And if you live in the community that the senator or the representative serves in and represents, make that connection. Yeah. First line. Uh, first line. <laughs> I, first I, first I, line. I think that's good, um, good, good information. Very good advice. All right. I'm going to skip to the lightning round real quick here, Nick. And, I, you know, this actually isn't on our, our usual list, but – as I was sitting here listening to you talk and so forth, you know, I was thinking in my head, what does Nick fear? What's his greatest fear? Wasting time. Wasting time. Oh, yeah. Wasting okay, time. I bet I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's your hero? My mom and dad. I knew that was coming, and they should be. They're amazing. <clears throat> nice. During the uh, nine months I was inpatient at Abbott, my mom didn't leave. The hospital once. Yeah. Uh, She slept in my room every night. And my dad worked out of my hospital room every day. And then there was a room at the hospital that parents or family members could rent out. And they slept in that room together every weekend, every week for nine and a half months. So, yeah, my parents. Wow. All right. What's your favorite movie? Oh, man, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, okay. that's a good one. That's a good one. So what's your superpower, Nick? This Being, this, this is it, baby. <laughs> These stunning good looks. Uh, no, I think, honestly, my superpower is, despite everything, a paralyzed vocal cord, two strokes, and a voice that I need a microphone for people to hear me is that when I speak and I share my story, people... I don't care where we're at. I don't care what we're doing. People stop what they're doing and they listen. 
You yeah. connect with people. I think that's your I think that's yeah. your superpower. Even from Shelley's wedding, people still remember your speech at the wedding. They don't remember <laughs> my speech at the wedding, but they remember <laughs> your speech uh, at the wedding. <laughs> well, Nick, I tell you what, thank you so much. This has been an amazing last forty five, fifty minutes or so learning about you and, and what you've been through and how you've come out on the backside of that. And you know, I just uh I actually wrote down one of the things that said, the lack of hope is crippling and debilitating. And man, that really holds true. And so thank you. Thank you for all you've done, not only for uh, the CRNA community, but also for your community up in Minnesota and for our listeners who are going to listen to this and think, man, look at this guy. He's He's been told he was going to die six times and he came through it. Man, that's uh, that's awesome. So Sharon? Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. I, I truly, truly appreciate it yeah good stuff sharon i think that's a wrap i think so we want to thank our listeners for listening to beyond the mass with jeremy stanley and sharon pierce if you like our show and want to know more check us out on wherever you get your podcasts and you know the single best way to help the show grow right sharon i know do you know i think i know that's telling others right Uh, You know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts and, you know, we want to be in the top 10, right, Sharon? Yeah. On On the way to number one. On the way to number one. So until next time. It's a wrap. And Nick, I will see you in May. I love it. Bye, guys. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. 
Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.